Thank you, JT, and musicians, singers, beautiful singing this morning. Good to see everyone. Karen and I, of course, we're on a, our 50th wedding anniversary trip, and we're glad to be back. Thank you for your prayers. Now, this past week, Pastor Harley and his family have been on family vacation, so I know they appreciate your prayers. They should be back, uh, I think, tomorrow is the plan, so remember them in prayer. Good to see everyone. Good to see uh, those, have those who are watching us online. We're so glad you joined us online. I'm going to speak today on part two of something I started three weeks ago, and, uh, and that is uh, a woman and a child and a dragon out of chapter 12 of the book of Revelation. So be turning there with me, uh, if you would. I remind you that, of course, this is a prophetic passage. It even uses the term, the Greek word, semion, which means a sign. Uh, megos in the Greek, megos means mega. It's where we get our word mega. It's a mega sign. This is a big sign. And, uh, and so it's symbolic. And in this symbolism, we learn a lot of things, but one thing we find out is why there is anti-Semitism in the world. Why the Jews are hated by so many people. It's because Satan himself drives this anti-Semitism. And by the way, Satan drives all racism in the world. And all hatred in the world is driven by Satan himself. And so we come back to this passage... And uh, let's read just three verses, and then we'll pick it up in verse 4 in just a moment. And there appeared a great wonder. The word wonder is the word simeon in the Greek. Great is magos, as I said, so it's a great wonder or a great sign in heaven. A woman clothed with a sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder, or Simeon, in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. We looked in detail about those heads and crowns three weeks ago. It identifies this dragon with the Antichrist and, and so forth, as we uh, talked about in detail. And, uh, and then this moon and stars comes from uh, Genesis and the story of Joseph and identifies this woman then. So those things we've already covered. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for our time together. Make it profitable, I pray, for each of us. Teach us your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may remember three weeks ago I shared with you some stories about anti-Semitism, not only in Israel, but in the U.S. and how it's on the rise worldwide coming to this place. Now this place is going to take... The, the, the scripture we're in is going to take place in the middle of the tribulation period. But we're, we're seeing the stage set for the coming of Christ and, of course, for the tribulation. Uh, uh, so uh, we see that anti-Semitism increasing. I shared with you three weeks ago again that in, since 2001, 
nearly 20,000 rockets have been shot into the land of Israel by their surrounding neighbors. It's an unheard of thing in, uh, in the modern world. I look back at some other articles. I found another article from uh, the uh, United Nations. This is the UN report. This is from Secretary General of the UN, and he condemns recent terrorist attack in Israel, which claimed the lives of 11 Israeli citizens. And then, again in that article, five people were reportedly shot in the... Uh, in this attack, uh, three Israelis and two uh, Ukrainian citizens. I guess the Ukrainians had escaped the war in Ukraine, came to Israel to try to find safety, and because of the hate of Israel, uh, they were killed in a terrorist attack. He goes on to say in this article, the man who did this crime was shot by Israeli police, but not before he fatally wounded one of the officers who confronted him. Another attack, two previous attacks just days earlier, saw an Israeli Arab drive his car into a cyclist, killing him. Then he stabbed three people to death outside a shopping center. Five days later, two Israeli Arabs killed two police officers in uh, Hadron, after opening fire on them at a bus stop. And then a final remark, the attacks mark one of the bloodiest weeks in Israel in recent years. Our passage tells us that behind the anti-Semitism, the hatred of Israel and Jewish people is Satan himself. He's the great dragon. He's driving this hatred. And the closer people allow themselves to get to Satan, the more hatred will be in their heart. And that would include other racism as well, our hatred of people who have done you wrong, any kind of hatred. Satan pushes this kind of mindset of hatred. Well, with that said, let's look at uh, an outline of the chapter, if you look at your screen here. Uh, the woman is Israel. Now that's very important. We spent a lot of time on that three weeks ago, so I'm not going to mention it except that it, it is the woman, and it is Israel, and it's important. And secondly, the dragon is Satan. That's given to us in the text. The male child is Jesus. So that's easy to identify in this passage. And, uh, and then there is, a, there is a war in heaven. And we're not going to look at that today. We're going to maybe look at that next week or some week following. And then there is, uh, if you outline the whole chapter, there's the persecution that is on earth that will take place during the uh, middle of the tribulation. Now, with that said, come back to verse 4. And uh, let's just run through these verses. And his tail, that's the tail of the dragon, drew a third part of the stars of heaven. Sometimes stars are a name given for angels. And I believe this is the case here, and most evangelical scholars would agree, that these angels that he drew with his tail was in Satan's original fall. And we went back and looked at two Old Testament passages a couple of months ago in detail. 
on the fall of Satan. Satan, of course, a created being, created by God uh, and uh, as, a, as an angel. But when he fell, he became Satan. And he took with him angels, other angels, which became demons. And uh, here it says, he drew a third part of the stars of heaven and he cast them down to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which... Uh, which was ready to deliver for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now again, the woman's Israel, the child is the Lord Jesus, and she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Three other times in the scripture that exact phrase is given of the Lord Jesus. So we know this child is the Lord Jesus. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. At the ascension, the Lord Jesus ascended back into heaven and sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Amen? And so that's a reference to his ascension. Now comes the persecution. And the woman, Israel, fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days. That's twelve hundred and sixty days. That exact number of twelve hundred and sixty days appears twice in the book of Revelation. And then another two times, the term forty-two months appears. Uh, and forty-two months is exactly the same as twelve hundred and sixty days in the... Uh, in the uh, old ancient Israeli calendar. So we have 42 months. That's three and a half years if you count by years. So that's the last half of the tribulation period. The period Jesus called the great tribulation. Now remember the rapture takes place first. That could happen today. And all the redeemed shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Amen? And, uh, but then the tribulation period will begin. The first three years... There's a false peace because the world leader who will be the Antichrist will sign a contract with Israel promising them peace. And for three and a half years there will be peace. But midway through the, that seven years, at the three and a half year mark, the Antichrist will reveal who he really is. He's the beast. He's the one controlled by the dragon and uh, with great fury, he begins to persecute uh, anybody who opposes him, but in particular, the nation of Israel and Jewish people. And so, here the woman fl is fled into the wilderness. Now, you may remember Jesus said in his sermon on prophecy, the longest sermon on prophecy, he said in Matthew 24, when you hear of the Antichrist standing in the holy place, claiming to be God, he says, flee into the mountains. Now, there's no contradiction here because in the holy land, mountains and wilderness are the same thing. Their wilderness has mountains. Karen and I were there one time and, uh, and saw that. And so, uh, here that she flees, the woman flees into the wilderness. Where there where they have a place prepared of God. And they shall feed her there those 1260 days. Some people think that uh, 
God will provide for these Israeli people who are running from the Antichrist. Some people think God will provide for them supernaturally like he did in the 40 years wilderness wandering that he might give them manna maybe and supply supernaturally. Now he may supply supernaturally and that may be a part of it. But in this passage it says they, plural, look back at it again. Uh, he's going to a place, or they're going to a place prepared of God that they should feed her, feed the woman, 1260 days. Who's they? They, I think, is the, uh, is the nations, the Gentiles. So I think God may supply supernaturally in places, but predominantly it's going to be like the Jews during the Holocaust when Christian people hid them in their homes and hid them here and hid them there and did what they could to, uh, to uh, keep them safe. That's the reason at the judgment of the Gentiles in Matthew 25, and we looked at that in detail a couple of months ago as well when we were going through our study on prophecy. And uh, remember Jesus will say to them, uh, when I was hungry, you fed me. And when I was in need, you helped me. When I was <clears throat> naked, you clothed me. And they said, when did we ever see you hungry or naked? And Jesus said, as much as you did it to the least of mine, you did it unto me. So the Jewish people are going to spread out into the wilderness and run. Remember, Jesus said, if you're on the roof, don't even pack your suitcase. It's going to be that severe and happen that fast. Run into uh, the mountains and the wilderness and uh, and they will be there for that period of time now notice it says uh, where she hath a place prepared of God where is this place some people think the place is Petra and there's some there's some good thought about that if you look back at your screen for a moment let me show you the map here's a map of the Holy Land it's got old names and it's got the recent names of land, uh, land mass as well. Uh, here is Jerusalem, and uh, here is Petra. Petra is a, a uh, God-made and man-made fortress. Now, if you notice, I'm going to show you with, my, with this light right here. You notice wilderness, the wilderness right here. That's where the children of Israel wandered for 40 years before entering into the Holy Land, right here in this wilderness. But not only is all of this still wilderness, but Jordan today, which used to be Edom, Moab, and Ammon, Jordan is wilderness, much of Jordan is wilderness as well. So when the people run, they'll probably run in all directions, coming down this way, but predominantly maybe into this wilderness here. And so Petra is a, is a possible place that God may have prepared for some of Israel to hide. Karen and I were there about 10 years ago. I want to show you some pictures of it. We were with our youngest daughter, Emily. That's her on the far left with the long, dark hair. And this is how you enter into Petra. These walls are very narrow. Sometimes they're just 10 feet apart. And the walls are... 300 to 600 feet high. 
Now think about that. This right here is 25 feet. So suppose you look at this for a minute. Suppose you, you took f four of this, these heights and stacked them on top of each other. That's 100. These walls are 300 to 600. Look at it another way. Take a football field, 100 yards. Take one football field and then take another football field. You've got 200 yards, but you've got 600 feet. And then stand them up on their end. That's how tall those walls are. It's a pretty remarkable place to see. There's no doubt about it. And then uh, it's, a, it's about a mile walk, a little over a mile and a quarter, something like that, back. And, uh, and then you start to come into this open area. And you begin to see some of the carvings that are in the rock. And this is the one they call the treasury. It's 131 feet tall. You see the people down at the bottom. You get a little bit of an idea of how big that is. And uh, there's another scene of it. And along the way, there's, uh, there's three big temples and one great arena. Uh, I circled some people there just so you could see the size of these things, these carvings in the wall. And by the way, some people believe so strongly that Israel is going to be here in Petra during the three and a half years of the, or, or a group of Israel, the last three and a half years, that they've put Bibles all in uh, these, uh, these buildings that go back like caves and caverns. And Bibles are back there, so one day... Some people from Israel that fled from the Antichrist may be reading Revelation chapter 12 that you and I are studying today. And they're going to know, they're going to see that dragon is Satan. And they're going to see that God will protect them. And uh, so the Bibles are there for them. Here's some other quick scenes. There's some people too. You can't even see those people, but... There is, I think there's four people in that one little circle there. Uh, here's, again, just carvings and part of the ruins and so forth along the way. Here's the Colosseum. Uh, here's some people here, too. I bet you can't even find them. I'll circle them again. There's some people sitting right there. And this Colosseum will hold 8,500 people. Of course, it's not in use now. It's, everything's just... All of this is a tourist attraction. Now, uh, before COVID, the, their highest attendance was in 2019. 1.1 million people visited Petra as a tourist attraction. And uh, so it is a large place that would hold many, many people. I think maybe Petra will play a part. Now, I don't think we can prove that from Scripture, but uh, it's in the right place and uh, a lot of people believe it will be, and the Bibles are there, and I'm hoping they will uh, retreat there, many of them, and find God's Word there. Now, we're not going to tackle verses 7 through 12. The scene changes there to a war in heaven. We'll come back to that. But verse 13 continues what verse 6 started. So you've got this little parenthetical section, and then... 13 picks up right where 6 left off. Look at verse 13. 
And when the dragon saw that he was cast upon the earth, that is, out of heaven, during the during the at the midway point of the tribulation, uh, which those previous verses explain, uh, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the child. That again is Israel. And to the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness. Uh, there's that word again, wilderness. Unto her place. There's the place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time. What is a time and times and a half a time? Well, a time is one. A plural is two and a half is a half so you got three and a half years <laughs> here we've got this same amount of time three and a half years 1260 days 42 months the Bible says and uh, and notice there's going to be two wings of a great eagle wow and she's going to fly here is um, some things that people some ways they interpret this passage it could be planes or the air forces of some of the Gentile nations could come in and help and could help rescue Israel. And it would be on those two great wings, uh, wings of airplanes that would, would help them out. That's a possibility. And then some people even saw, see these planes as from the U.S. because... The eagle, of course, is the symbol of the U.S. And so if it's, if it's on wings of an eagle, then maybe the eagle represents the United States, and the United States is helping Israel. Of course, we're their greatest ally here and now, and we should continue to be. By the way, I remind you again, the Bible itself says, God himself says, uh, uh, if you bless Israel, you shall be blessed, but if you curse Israel, you're going to be cursed. So America needs to stay on the right side in this conflict. And uh, so uh, the planes could be from the U.S. Here's a third possibility, and that is the eagle represents God's power and provision. Now, I think this third one is probably true. Here's the reason. Even though those first two are kind of exciting, I think the third one is probably true. Here's, again, here's the biblical reason I think that. God delivered uh, Israel from Egypt on eagles' wings. There was no planes involved there. And then uh, he cared for his people in the wilderness as an eagle would her young. Again, no planes. And then their return from Babylonian captivity, uh, captivity was like mounting up with wings as eagles. And so in the Old Testament, this phraseology refers to God's protection and provision. And I think that's what it refers to here. God's going to watch over Israel, and he's going to keep some of them alive. Now that's, that's interesting. That brings up an interesting thought. The Jewish population in the world is about 15 million. Now that's people who identify themselves, first of all, as Jews. If you look this up, you'll see some differing numbers. The reason is people who have some kind of, of uh, ancestry that's Jewish, when you, when you put them all together, if, they're, you know, if they have some connection to Judaism, there's 21 million. But people who would say, I'm a Jew, 
uh, not just the Orthodox, but the liberals as well. I'm a Jew. Uh, 15 million. Now, uh, in Israel, there's 7 million Jewish people. And in the U.S., there's 6 million Jewish people. So if you do the math, you know, in the rest of the world, there's 2 million Jewish people dispersed in the rest of the world. So most of them are in Israel and in the U.S. Now, look at something that Zechariah said. It is very interesting. And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die. Now, this is in reference to future prophetic teaching where this takes place in the context. Two-thirds of the people shall die, but a third shall be left therein. That's interesting, isn't it? Look at uh, the second part of that, verse 9. And I will bring the third part through the fire. The tribulation. The fire of the tribulation. Uh, and will refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name, and I will hear them. I will say, it is my people. They shall say, the Lord is my God. Now, if we understand this correctly, then when the Antichrist attacks Israel, sometime in that next 300 years, uh, uh, three and a half years, 42 months, two-thirds of Israel will die. If that is, if that is uh, the Israel that, of course, is in the Holy Land now, that's seven million. So a third of that is 2.3, we'll say. So 4.6 million will die in this great, uh, in this great persecution that... Uh, that the Antichrist is going to bring on Israel. But a third is going to live through the whole thing. They're going to go through the fire. That's, again, 2.3 million if you count the Jews that are in Israel. And that's the ones that they're going to flee. And maybe some of them make it to Petra. And some of them will be aided in other places and hiding in the wilderness and taken care of by God and by Gentiles who are helping them. So then we, in verse 14, it says they will be nourished and for this time, times and a half time. Look at 15. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a, as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. Notice those two little words right in the middle, as a flood, water as a flood. The dragon has water coming out of his mouth in this, in this vision, in this great uh, wonder, this great sign that uh, the Apostle John is seeing and writing down for us. But in reality, it's going to be as a flood. It's not really a flood of water, it's as a flood. I think it's a, the flood of his um, his soldiers. He, and that's, it's used that way in the Old Testament on several occasions. A flood of, an, of his army coming after those who are fleeing. He's going to send his army out after them. And, uh, light, and it'll be as a flood. And verse 16, And the earth helped the woman. Ah, the earth. 
Now, this could be the globe. And some people see it as a, maybe an earthquake that would swallow up some of this army. But, but think how unrealistic that is if the army if people are running in every direction and the army is going after them in every direction like a big flood they'll be in all these different places I mean two or three earthquakes might take out big numbers of them but you couldn't get all of them so it says and the earth helped the woman and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his Mouth. And so I think the earth is the, is the people of the earth, the redeemed of the earth. Remember, there's going to be a great number of people redeemed. Now, let me go back for a second. Those people who die of Israel, that uh, 4.6 million maybe that die, that doesn't mean they're going to be lost because many of them have come to Christ under the preaching of the 144,000 in the first half and now in the second half, you have the two witnesses performing miracles and preaching the gospel. And so many of them will be saved, but they will still die in this persecution. That's the reason when in Revelation 7, we see this great number so big you couldn't number them all. And they're in heaven, but they've been redeemed out of the great tribulation. So that doesn't mean that whole... 2.6 million will be lost, not at all. They're just not going to make it through to the end of Jacob's trouble or the uh, tribulation, great tribulation period. Now, look at uh, verse 17. And the dragon was wroth with a woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed which kept the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, he was upset because he couldn't catch all of the Jews that had fleed into the wilderness. So now he turns his attention to other Jews. Where are the other Jews? In the United States, most of them. Two million in other places, but six million in the United States. He's going to go after others who have been washed in the blood and have the testimony of Christ. And so here we have this great hatred of Israel. Uh, and in this passage. Now, let me, let's look at some things together. Here's some important thoughts. One is, anti-Semitism is driven by Satan. There's no logical reason for it. Now, there are, uh, there are the thoughts of man, of course, that uh, for some reason somebody, some people group hurt this people group and so forth, and there's that kind of thing, but the real driving force behind it is Satan himself, the great dragon. And then all racism is driven by Satan. All racism. Uh, Jesus said about Satan, he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. However he can do that. If he can make people groups hate each other, then that's what he'll do. It also says, Peter said, he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Think about all the harm that's come to our nation over the years because of racism. And then... All hatred is driven by Satan. Now, it may not have anything to do with race. 
You may hate somebody because they, uh, they got your job or they stole something from you or they mistreated you or they lied to you and because of that you lost some money or, or uh, maybe it's, a, it's an ex-mate. You used to be married and they treated you terribly and hate. But behind all hatred, he's the deceiver. He's the liar. He's the manipulator. Behind all hatred is, is Satan driving that hatred. And then, number four is this. God's people should display God's love, always walking in love. God's people ought to be the ones leading the way uh, of loving all nations and, and uh, people groups, loving each other. And uh, we should be walking in love all the time. Now, let me give you some quick thoughts in walking in love, and then we'll close. You should love your neighbor as yourself, the Lord Jesus said. Your neighbor's not the person who lives next door to you, even though that's a neighbor. But biblically, biblically speaking, the neighbor is anybody you come in contact with. Love your neighbor. Jesus went beyond that in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 44. He said, not only should you love your neighbor, you should love your enemy. Wow, think about that. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who persecute you. Wow. So we should love. By the way, that's not only true, on a, and we not only need this on a worldwide scale, but we need it in our communities. We need it in our homes, between husband and wife, and sons and daughters, and parents and children. We need to love each other with an everlasting love, and we need to be kind to one another, the Scripture says. Kindness. Kindness is kind of out of style right now, isn't it? What's in style is rudeness and abruptness and, sh and uh, you know, sh shock therapy. But God's Word never changes. We are God's people. We're supposed to be kind to each other and kind to the world, even the lost world around us. We're to be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Tender-hearted comes from a root word in the Greek that means to understand, to try to enter into somebody else's pain and hurt and suffering. Be tender-hearted. We should forgive one another, again, not only in society, but in our homes, our marriages. Forgive one another, forbearing one another. Forbearing means to, well, to put up with each other. <laughs> you know, some people are kind of hard to put up with, aren't they? <laughs> but God says, put up with them. Forbearing one another. And then humbling ourselves. We don't, you know, the world's always excited about who's the biggest and the greatest. But God's people ought to just humble ourselves. We're commanded to do so. And just be humble servants of each other, servants of Christ. And then we should walk in meekness and in gentleness. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength under control. Gentleness. Now, I know a lot of you take notes. Here's the references to those principles. I didn't have room to put them all on one screen. So if you're taking notes, you can take them here.
You know, not only would our world be a different place if all of God's people practiced these principles that the New Testament gives us, but our communities would be a different place. But I want to go beyond that and say, and I really believe this, our homes would be different places if we practice these principles given in the New Testament. Bow with me, please. With our heads bowed, maybe you'd say, Preacher, I know I'm saved, no doubt about that, but I want you to pray for me that I can live out these principles in my home and community. I want you to pray that I'll be able to live them out. I want to do that. Pray for me. If that's your prayer, would you slip your hands up? Yes, hands are everywhere all over the building. You may put them down. God bless you. I wonder how many would say this. Preacher, I'm not saved. I've never trusted Christ and Christ alone as my Savior. Pray for me. No, no one will come back to you or embarrass you. We just want to pray for you. Would you slip your hand up right now? Anyone? I'm looking and hold it up long enough for me to look around the room. Okay. Okay, God bless you. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray that we'll have open hearts to that, your word today. You've seen the hands of your people. Make us those kinds of people that you've, that you've taught us to be. May we make the decision. May we make the choices to do those things, just like you told us. And at the same time, trusting you to fill us with the Holy Spirit to give us the strength to do so. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me, please.